Welcome to Just Quietly, a podcast where Senator Amanda Stoker has a laugh with friends and colleagues, cuts through the bull, and explores the issues of the day. Let's get to the bottom of it all. Hello and welcome to Just Quietly. I'm Amanda Stoker and on this week's podcast we are talking about an issue that I think is really gaining in momentum. It's the issue of whether or not we should have vaping in this country. Now um, by way of background I'm a person who doesn't smoke, I never have, I think it's kind of gross and I don't get why people like it. Um, I'm also as anti-illicit drugs as you could possibly find in a person and so People are sometimes surprised when um, I say that I think legalising vaping in this country would be a good thing. So today I've got the help of two people who are extremely well informed on this issue to come and have a chat with me about um, some of the scientific and medical evidence and um, some of the policy reasons why we'd be better off if we had um, a country where it was legal to vape, which is essentially to use an electronic um, cigarette. And if we move to a situation where people who were addicted to smoking um, weren't faced with only the option of smoking a traditional kind of cigarette. Um, So I have with me Brian Marlowe, who um, is the leader of Legalise Vaping, which is an advocacy group. And I've got Dr Colin Mendelson, who has... Um, enormous expertise in this area. Hello to you both. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Great, Amanda. Thank you. Colin, tell us a little bit about um, you, your work, and why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, thank you, Amanda. Thank you for asking me to be involved. Um, Look, I also have never smoked and I don't vape. So, yes, people ask me the same question, but my reason for being involved is I've been a medical practitioner for 35 years and I've seeing firsthand the devastating effects of smoking. And I've dealt with smokers over the years, who, many of whom have repeatedly tried and failed to quit. Want to quit, but just can't, because they're addicted to nicotine. So they smoke for the nicotine, but they're dying because of all the, the smoke in uh, tobacco, from tobacco. Uh, and so we now have an option for those people who can't quit, where we can switch them across to a much less harmful alternative. It gives them the tobacco, that the, the nicotine they're addicted to, as well as the smoking ritual and the sensations of smoking, um, but without all the poisons. And for me as a doctor, um, it just makes so much sense. I, you know, I, I, It's so sad seeing people who have tried to quit smoking for years and years get lung cancer and die when you know, there, there are other options now which could help them. So I, I'm a, I treat work now as a tobacco treatment specialist. I help people to quit. I'm associate professor in the School of Public Health and Community Medicine at the University of New South Wales, and I'm the founding chairman of the Australian Tobacco Harm Reduction Association, which is a, a health promotion charity set up by doctors to help reduce the harm from smoking. So for people who um, don't smoke, don't really sort of follow the technical stuff as much as you do. What is it in a cigarette that contains um, all the stuff that kills you? Is it the nicotine that kills you? Uh, What is it in a cigarette that makes it so harmful? 
Yeah, look, that's a really important question and there's a lot of misinformation. Nicotine is not the problem. So nicotine is addictive, but it's got relatively minor health effects. Um, according to the Royal College of Physicians in the UK, using nicotine alone in the doses used by smokers represents little, if any, hazard to the user. So what kills people is when you burn tobacco, you create thousands of toxic chemicals and carcinogens. Um, and they're the, they're the chemicals that lead to all the cancer, heart disease, lung disease, and so on. So in a, a safer, smokeless, nicotine product like vaping, there's tiny doses of those chemicals. So they can um, deliver the substance to which they're addicted without the vast majority of the nasties that are making people sick. Exactly. And this is just, just what we call harm reduction, which is harm reduction just means acknowledging that some people are always going to need to um, use a certain product, a drug, and sometimes that's a choice, sometimes it's just an addiction. But to harm reduction aims to reduce the health risks in those continuing smokers by switching them to something safer um, but without the smoke. Um, they're not risk-free, but they're just far safer than smoking. And, you know, they're a good replacement for, for the, the very lethal behaviour of smoking. Now, Brian, you've um, dedicated all your days to the issue of vaping at the moment and I'd love to know what brought you to that. What's your story? Brian? Have we lost Brian? Are you there, Brian? I am now. Sorry, oh, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> uh, okay. the, wonders of, the, the wonders of teleconferences. <laughs> Um, yeah, so look, I run a campaign organisation called Legalise Vaping Australia. Uh, we set this organisation up about two and a half years ago and uh, was set up in its infancy. We basically looked at, at vaping as you know, a less harmful alternative to smoking uh, and logic sort of prevailed for us that it, that it shouldn't be something that's, that's kept illegal in Australia. If someone can buy a product that kills two and three long-term users, they should be able to buy a product that doesn't. Um, and, you know, just like Colin and yourself, uh, I'm not a vapor. Uh, I smoked a little bit when I was younger. Uh, I was one of the lucky ones that managed to just quit. Uh, but I have met thousands of vapors who were all long-term smokers and they tried every other method to quit uh, and vaping was the only solution for them. Yet for quitting smoking and for doing what public health advocates say is a good thing, which is getting away from cigarettes, uh, in some states and territories they're almost treated like criminals, which is... Not acceptable. So, what is the position at law at the moment? It's convoluted to say the least. Uh, so, in Australia, you can purchase vaping liquids if they do not contain nicotine, and you can vape those liquids. But nicotine is the is the uh, chemical that smokers are addicted to. So, the vast majority of vapors put nicotine in their vaping liquids. You cannot purchase that in Australia. Uh, you must. Uh, have a prescription uh, if you want to use it for personal use. Uh, and because you can't buy it in Australia, vapors purchase these products from overseas and then ship them into the country. Most of them don't get a prescription. Uh, and every state and territory has different levels of bans on even sometimes possession of these products if you don't have a prescription. So you have this real regulatory hodgepodge that we're trying to get through 
to legislate these products as a consumer product. You can go into a convenience store and you can buy cigarettes and those do kill people, yet you can't buy a product that doesn't. That's really interesting, isn't it? Now, does does a GP have the power to um, prescribe the liquid with the nicotine in it for somebody who's trying to quit? They do, but it's a, it, it, it's it's quite a process for them to do so. Uh, Dr. Mendelssohn's actually set up a process for them to to uh, write a prescription, so it's probably something for Colin to elaborate on. All right, Colin, tell yeah, us about look, that. Uh, yes, well, the under the personal importation scheme we have, it's legal for patients to import nicotine if they have a prescription from a doctor. The problem is that doctors have been frightened off by the um, opposition to vaping in Australia from the AMA and the health departments and the Cancer Council and they're very reluctant to, to write prescriptions and you know some vapors have gone to dozens of doctors and been repeatedly refused a prescription which is based a lot on, on ignorance and misinformation. So it's actually very simple to write a prescription once doctors know how to do it and we've, we have prepared some guidelines for doctors and we're putting a list of doctors on the ATRA website who will provide prescriptions. We're doing that on Monday. So, yeah, there is a, a simple mechanism for it, but GPs need to be educated. And um, unfortunately, they're still uh, not well informed about vaping. That's really interesting. Now, tell us about the the evidence, because um, obviously we've all said that it's got um, better outcomes for people who are... Yeah. Um, addicted to nicotine, but for people who haven't been following this, take us through what yeah. some of the data is saying about the life prospects of a person who smokes all their life versus the prospects of somebody who switches to vaping. Yeah, well, smokers live on average 10 years less than non-smokers. Two in three of them will die prematurely from their smoking. So there are about 21,000 deaths in Australia each year from smoking. Uh, and most smokers try repeatedly to quit and, and, and really struggle to do so. So, uh, and vaping is now thought to be at least 95% less harmful than smoking. And that's according to the Royal College of Physicians. 95%, that is huge, isn't it? It is huge. Um, and that's an estimate, but it's based on solid scientific evidence. Based on the fact, it's based on the fact that most of the harmful toxins in smoke are not in vapor. Uh, it's based on the studies that show that the chemicals in the body, which we call biomarkers from smoke, are at very low levels, uh, almost in a vapour, almost at the level of a non-smoker. It's based on the evidence that people's health improves when they quit smoking. We know cardiovascular health improves, blood pressure drops, asthma, asthma improves. And, and it's based on studies that have shown that the risk of cancer from vaping is less than 1% of the risk from smoking. Wow. So there are substantial improvements to health and also substantial savings in money. Smoking is, it's, it, we pay the, have the most expensive cigarette prices in the world. Vaping is about 85 to 90% cheaper than smoking. And that's an interesting Yeah, I think thing. that's one of the key things. It's, um, it, we, we talk a lot about the, the health aspects of vaping and how it's a much less harmful alternative, which is you know, a really important uh, point to get across, but for a lot of vapors, uh, you know, w smokers tend to be working class people, uh, and that's the same for vapors as well. So they don't have a lot of disposable income, 
Uh, and on average, if you're a pack a day smoker and you smoke about say 30 cigarettes a day and you switch to vaping, you can save, you know, between seven to $9,000, uh, uh, roughly. So that's a year. It's a, it's a, year. It's a, it's a, it's a yeah. lot of money. Uh, if you're, if you're, you know, a working class family that you can put away to much better things as opposed to, uh, cigarettes that are going to take 10 years off your, off your life expectancy. That's right. And I think and that's one of the things that, that people uh, forget. It's, it's not just that it's less harmful and that it's a safer alternative. It's actually financially better for people that aren't in a position, especially right now, uh, to be spending money on uh, products like cigarettes. I mean, the overtaxing mm. of cigarettes is something I um, am not happy with and oppose and, and would love to see a shift in, um, particularly because it's based on um, very flawed understandings that if we increase taxes yeah. on things, it changes people's behaviour. We know that it doesn't, whether you're talking about um, cigarettes or whether you're talking about alcohol or whether you're talking about sugar, right? If you look at the evidence from Chicago on that, it shows that it just doesn't work. But... Um, even if we put that aside, there's the, the cost issues in the pockets of the people who are buying, which are real, and it's very mm-hmm. easy for um, healthy, wealthy people who are professionals in the city to um, say, oh, well, you just shouldn't be doing it at all, when the people Correct. who are affected are people who don't have that range of um, options available to them. But there's also the, the cost on the other side. If cigarettes and the harm that they cause creates so much expense for the public health system that we need to tax cigarettes at what I think are pretty extortionate levels, um, then why wouldn't we move to a system um, or an option that means we don't face those enormous public health costs? Because I think most people would approach most of these things from the perspective that says, you know, if you're an adult, and you want to do something, um, and it's harmful to you but not to anybody else, provided you're happy to wear the cost of it, most people aren't too worked up about it. Um, you know, it's a matter of individuals making their choices and bearing the consequences of those choices. But if the whole community is bearing the cost of a policy in relation to cigarettes that um, is making healthcare more expensive as well as the human um, experience less pleasant for those who go through it. Why wouldn't we be open to other alternatives? Exactly, and and, and this isn't a, a it's not even a theoretical discussion at this stage. We have evidence from numerous countries that are going down the path of vaping legalisation and seeing the benefits. I mean, just over in New Zealand, uh, health departments there are estimating that they'll save billions of dollars in healthcare costs purely because they've legalised vaping uh, and you know, ex-smokers and now no longer consuming cigarettes. Yeah. And, and in Australia, on the other hand, smoking rates haven't changed in the last six years in spite of the highest cigarette prices in the world. So, you know, we've reached the point of diminishing returns where the prices are so high that people who have had to quit have had to. Um, the people who are still smoking will smoke at any price. And it's a very regressive tax because it's, it's harming the, the, the least able to afford members of the community who can least afford the, the uh, taxes where they're, that they're having to pay. That's really troubling. Um, tell me something about the international comparisons. Are there places that have um, legalised the vaping of nicotine and what are their health, health outcomes looking like? Yeah, look, that, that's a really important issue. One of the reasons we know this works is that we've seen it in other countries. 
In Australia, we have a, a vaping rate of 1.2% of the population, which is very low. In the UK, it's 6.3%. In the US, it's nearly 4%. In the US and the UK, smoking rates are falling faster than ever since vaping has become popular. If you look at graphs, from the point where vaping became um, widely available, smoke, the decline in smoking has accelerated. And the only clear reason for that, these are countries that have got all the other tobacco smoking restrictions. The main difference between them and Australia is that vaping is available. And there have been many studies now looking at the population effect of vaping, showing that when it's available, success rates are increased, smoking rates fall faster, people try more often to quit because vaping is, is the most popular quitting method in those countries. It's by far the most popular quitting method in the UK and the US. So in the stats you've just cited, you've talked about how the rate of smoking has fallen. Is that a number that um, is inclusive, I suppose, of the offset of people who have shifted from smoking to vaping? Are you telling me that the, the oh, they're, they're entire number of people who are, um, I guess, using nicotine has dropped or are you telling me that they've shifted to the less harmful option but the number has largely stayed stable as a total? Well, what counts from a public health point of view, Amanda, is whether they've stopped smoking. That, that is the public health priority. Yeah, that's once, people have switched, once people have switched to vaping, it's not a public health issue anymore. You know, they're making a personal choice to use a mild recreational stimulant that has relatively minor effects. So vaping and nicotine don't cause, vape, nicotine doesn't cause cancer, doesn't cause heart disease or lung disease. And really our focus should be on getting people to quit smoking. Um, the Royal College of um, Public Health in the UK says nicotine is no more harmful than caffeine. So we get terribly excited about people using this drug of addiction and there's a very large moral element there. Oh, you shouldn't be using drugs. But actually, this is a relatively harmless drug and if people make, if that's people's choice. It has a lot of benefits. Nicotine improves concentration, it keeps weight down, helps to prevent ulcerative colitis and um, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease. Um, and now they're even trialling it for the treatment of COVID-19, believe it or not. I'm never going to be a cheerleader for nicotine. I mean, um, no, <laughs> I'm, no. I'm, not, I'm never going to say it's a good thing, but if there's a way no. we can make it, um, you know, uh, not be delivered in a, a package to those who are addicted, in a package that's killing them, then then so much yes, the better. exactly. Can we... I think just on some of those numbers that we were talking about before, uh, I, I think the stat has since been updated. But in the UK alone, they credit vaping with helping about 20,000 people quit each year. That's just on vaping. Uh, and then at another level, we know that vapors don't, tend to, like, don't stick with vaping for the rest of their lives. There are people that go from smoking to vaping. They then drop their nicotine levels to the point that they actually vape with no nicotine. And then eventually they just quit entirely. So there is that... There is a quick journey uh, where eventually they're not actually inhaling any of these products. Um, and the evidence points towards that as opposed to you know, any kind of evidence of, of, of the trends going the other way. So it, 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 it's, it's a net benefit. Ideally, if you're a smoker uh, and you tried other avenues to quit, maybe try vaping. Uh, ideally, you wouldn't be inhaling anything, of course. But when when you're comparing vaping to, to cigarette smoke, it's it's... it's far and away better. Uh, if I had 
if I could convince my mother to uh, switch to vaping and commit to it, uh, and if she did that for the rest of her life, I wouldn't even bother trying to get her to stop doing that because uh, at least she wouldn't be smoking cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, I think, that, I think that comparison between vaping and smoking is the key. People say, well, yes, there's still chemicals in vapor, and that's true. But what we need to compare it with is what these people would be using if they weren't vaping because surveys in many countries have shown that current use by non-smokers is rare. There's generally less than about half a percent of the population who have never smoked are currently vaping. So it, it's, it's almost exclusively confined to adults who, who are, were smokers and, and, and the comparison needs to be made to the risk that they would have if they hadn't switched to vaping. I guess that's a good way for us to move to dealing with a lot of the arguments that are presented against vaping because yeah. um, it strikes me there's a lot of evidence in favour. Um, so let, let's engage with some of those. The most commonly um, presented barrier that's offered to me by people in the political sphere is that Mm -hmm. because vaping fluids often have other flavours with them, um, you know, including things that can be, you know, fruity or or lolly-ish sounding, um, you know, fairy floss flavoured or whatever, um, Mm -hmm. that it's something um, that's being marketed to or attractive to children. Um, is that right? Uh, and tell me a bit about that. It's, a, it, 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 it's an argument that, that people sort of use to fearmonger around vaping, but it's not actually borne out by any of the evidence. Uh, even with our own uh, surveys that we've done internally for legalised vaping, where we've surveyed you know, over 3,500 uh, individual people, when you look at the age breakdowns of vapors, you, you're talking about on the, the biggest age group is between the ages of about 26 to, to, to 45, uh, and then it starts trailing off uh, after that and before that. In terms of people that are between 18 and 25, it's less than a few percent, and anyone who's under age, you're talking about statistical anomalies of you know 0.25% or something like that. So it's all very well for them to say, oh, the flavors are what's going to attract people to... Uh, take up vaping and maybe smoking, but it, it's it's just not actually borne out by the numbers, and that's and that's the key thing there. Because I would be very yeah, uncomfortable I, I, with anything that made it attractive to children. Um, of course, and I think most yeah, people yeah. would be. So, um, sorry, I, I cut you off there, Colin. Yeah, no, no, I was just going to say that this whole youth vaping thing is really overblown. And if you look carefully at the evidence, and, and some of us just wrote a paper about this recently, um, the evidence is that. Most use in young people is experimental and infrequent. So yes, a lot of kids are trying vaping, as kids do, but it's actually very rare uh, that for kids to be vaping regularly, um, and it's very rare for kids who have never smoked to vape regularly. So in Australia, at the last national survey, only 0.3% of kids from 12 to 17 who'd never smoked had vaped more than three times in the last month. What about so, in other yeah, jurisdictions where, where yeah, look, this might be more um, readily available? Yeah, look, even in the US with the so-called youth vaping epidemic, only 0.4% of kids who've never smoked vapes regularly. That means more than 20 days in the last month. So over there, again, it's almost all experimental and most vaping is by kids who've already smoked. And we know that about 80% 
of kids who smoke smoke before they vape. So the evidence is that vaping is actually diverting kids who may otherwise have smoked from becoming smokers. So and, because and in, in, the, in the U.S., sorry, just, in, just to finish that off, in the U.S., vape, smoking rates in kids are falling faster than they ever have since vaping became available. Yes, the number of kids vaping is rising, but the, the lethal habit of smoking is falling rapidly because of vaping. And, and this is the key thing uh, uh, where we need a bit of context. When I was a teenager growing up, vaping didn't exist. So people tried smoking and then you got hooked on smoking and then that was it. You were on those products and that's the case for most uh, smokers and most vapers that I, that I know. Uh, so, yes, there are cases where people who are underage are going to uh, potentially access these products and we should do whatever we can to try and prevent that. But you can't ban the entire product based on you know zero point three percent or zero point four percent in a country like America. What you what you do is you put in appropriate policies to try and educate uh, about vaping and try and you know, prevent the sale of these products to underage people. And I guess that's yeah. I think the key. I think the key for, is exactly that, Brian. It's that we need a balanced regulatory model. But yes, we allow addicted smokers access to this much safer, effective quitting aid, but at the same time we introduce sensible, proportionate regulations that make it harder for kids to vape. Yeah, um, no, no one's suggesting and, it and, should and be And around. we can do that. No one's suggesting it should be around without any restrictions. It should be... Absolutely. Yeah, it should be yeah. regulated. It should only be available to people who um, are of the right age and who need it and all, and all of that. But, um, yeah. Yeah, there's a world yeah. of difference between, I guess, legalisation and... Um, putting it on the grocery shelves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and just on that point with the kids too, there, there's this argument that, oh, kids will take up vaping and then they'll go on to become smoking and we'll be hooking a new generation of young people. Well, I think it's really important to say that there's no good evidence that that's happening. In fact, a recent study in the US found that only 1% of US teens who vape first go on to become established smokers. And many of them would have smoked anyway. So that progression just doesn't seem to be happening. So kids will try vaping and then they'll stay vaping or then they'll vape for a while and stop. Very few actually then go on to, to vape, to smoke, who, who, who otherwise wouldn't have. Another argument... And, and to, Sorry. To, to be fair to uh, you know, some of the original scepticism around vaping, I, I would have understood those arguments when vaping had first sort of come on the scene and we didn't have real-world examples of what was happening. But, uh, you know, as the evidence changes, so should your uh, position on issues. Um, we're seeing that slowly here in Australia with certain uh, medical bodies, but there are still some staunch anti-bakers that will not adjust their, their views no matter what the evidence tells them, which is unfortunate. So tell me about yeah. that. Tell me um, what the response has been from the medical community and um, whether... Doctors are starting to appreciate this and um, and get behind it, or, or whether they think differently. What's going on there? Yeah, well, look, I think individual doctors are still not well informed about vaping. Um, a study recently found that doctors actually get their information from the media, and it's often sensational headlines and you know through informal sources, not from the medical research. So they are struggling to keep up to date. And they are hearing all Sorry, the negative messages. I thought that's messages why we sent them to from, medical school. 
<laughs> well, it was never discussed at medical school, um, and but but now as a relatively new concept, they're they're struggling to get the information, and they're hearing all the negative messages from cancer council, the AMA, the Heart Foundation, um, the, the the PGA, and um, various groups that are, are are highlighting all the risks, but haven't yet caught up with all the benefits and aren't taking an overall uh, balanced view of vaping. What are the doctors' representative bodies who are engaging with the evidence doing? Yes, look, there's been good progress there. So we now have three major medical colleges that support uh, or acknowledge a role for vaping in, in, uh, in Australia. So the Royal Australian College of Physicians came out last week uh, and they made a statement that Vaping is something that should be available for smokers who are keen to, to, to give up their smoking and that it's far safer than smoking. So this is a group that represents 25,000 physicians in Australia and New Zealand. So, so cardiologists, yeah, lung specialists. Specialist. Doctors? Yeah, all the medical specialists, yeah, that's right. right. Yep, gotcha. Um, the, the, GP, the GPs came, did a full analysis, the College of GPs did a full analysis of the research last year, announced in January that there is a place for vaping for smokers who can't quit who are you know, informed of the issues and ask their doctor. And a couple of years ago, the psychiatrists came out with a formal physician statement supporting vaping. So they reviewed all the evidence uh, and you know, disregarded all the ideology and the politics and everything else, but looked at the evidence and said, yes, our patients should be able to vape. So it's definitely moving in the right direction. And I imagine the psychiatrists are relevant because of that um, I guess mental component that is addiction. Um, exactly. They exactly. they're the doctors that understand addiction, you know, well. They understand addiction, but they're also seeing that yes, they're getting their patients better, they're treating them well, but then they die from smoking, <laughs> and they realise that people with mental illness have much higher rates of smoking, and they're dying from the smoking. That's what kills them, not their mental illness. And you know, they can see how frustrating and um, yeah, that is, and, and that yes, we can do something about it. So who doesn't support it? Well, everyone else. So we're talking about the TGA, that's our medicines regulator, our NAPIC health body, which is the National Health and Medical Research Council, Research Council all the health charities, the Heart Foundation, uh, the Cancer, Cancer Council Australia, Lung Foundation Australia, the AMA, uh, the Public Health Association Australia, all the health state health departments, the federal health department, the Minister for Health. Okay. Um, it's pretty scary. And just, just why do you think they yeah. are um, holding on to that view? Well, I can tell you it's not about the scientific evidence. Um, the scientific evidence is very clear. I think what's, uh, they'll argue about, oh, kids are going to vape. They'll argue about, oh, the long-term risk. But what they're really worried about, I think, is they take an abstinence-only approach. So their view has always been, oh, well, people shouldn't use drugs. They should just stop smoking. End of story. And, hey, I agree. That's, <laughs> you know, but yeah, that's not that, necessarily the world we live they in. They should, yes. That, exactly. And, and in an ideal world, that would be the case, but it's not. And we have to accept that. And we have to, have to help people to reduce their health risk if they're going to continue in this nicotine. So there's an abstinence-only approach, which we've always used. There's a... A political issue. There's a lot more political risk in stopping vaping than in um, allowing it. Um, there's financial considerations. We get 17 billion dollars from vaping from smoking every year 
uh, a lot of money. There are, there's a lot of money. That's our, that's our budget surplus right there. Um, there's, there's vested interests. There's moral judgments. Oh, these people should just stop because that's the wrong thing to be doing. There's all this stuff going on as well. The evidence is very clear-cut, though. Interesting. The people on the other side of the argument will no doubt say um, that you guys are just part of a big conspiracy fueled by um, big tobacco. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, I love, yeah. You know, that, that's yeah. what they're going to say. I can, I can imagine yeah. Larissa Waters standing up in the chamber are ready to say it because yeah. it's kind of what she yeah. says every second day. Um, yeah. What do you say to people like that? Uh, if I could jump in there on that, uh, yeah. first of all, um, this has been an argument that's been thrown against anyone who supports vaping, uh, whether they be from Legalised Vaping Australia or you know Dr. Colin Mendelson or, or anyone who's on the pro-vaping side, that they must just be a big chill for, for big tobacco. Uh, and that's just not the case. Our campaign is funded by vape shops that are run by you know working-class families that have small businesses. Uh, and they donate part of their income to our organisation. It's really humbling to see, and we really appreciate it. Uh, but it, it's, it, I think for anti-vapers, it's a very easy uh, argument or, or target to, to put on someone's back because tobacco companies have sold products consistently for, for many, many, many years that kill two and three long-term users. Uh, and yes, some tobacco companies are trying to produce their own uh, vape products, but the reality of the situation is they barely even have market share. Most of uh, the vapes that you find on the market, they're not produced by a company that has anything to do with tobacco companies. Uh, so it's a, it's a it's a straw man argument in in my view, uh, and I I think it's just a way to try and silence opposition, which is well, big tobacco bad, big tobacco kind of sort of investing in vaping, therefore this is all a big tobacco conspiracy. Yeah, I think um, big tobacco that's where the politics comes tobacco, in, right? <laughs> but also, big tobacco had no choice. They didn't invent vaping, and they only latched onto it fairly late in the piece, and they currently control no more than 20% of the global vapour market. And um, they've had to invest because they can see their business being being lost. It, you know, they're going to have a Kodak moment unless they... And, and as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't matter who's making vaping products as long as people stop smoking. I hate big tobacco as much as anyone, but they're going to make money either from cigarettes or from vaping products. And my concern is that people just stop smoking and I don't really care who makes the money uh, or who makes the products. Yeah, that's correct. It goes back to a, a conversation I had with a Greens MP once, which was, you know, the concern was that uh, tobacco companies are investing in these products and, and uh, that was a bad thing. And the question I asked was, well, do you think that vaping is less harmful? Yes, I do. So if a company that you don't like sells a product to someone that doesn't kill them and the and downside the is that they make money, <laughs> right, like, and, and the downside is that they don't make, uh, is, is that the company makes money, isn't, this, isn't there still a net benefit because someone didn't die? And the answer was, well, yes, but, it's a, it's a concern. And, and I don't really get the logic around that. Uh, I understand why people don't like tobacco companies. I get it. Yeah, I think for many advocates that there has been such a long history of we have to destroy the evil enemy of big tobacco. And that's taken priority over 
what we really should be focusing on, which is public health. Now, how are we going to save the lives of smokers should be the priority, not, oh, we've got to stop big tobacco because they're now associated with this. Uh, that's not the right priority. And can I, can I hit you with um, the question that, um, well, Brian, you'll know this because I raised it with you, was um, most on my mind as a potential risk of vaping. And that was the idea that the devices that are used, um, the the e-cigarette device itself rather than the vapour, might be misused by people who um, are into cannabis, which I really oppose. I think anybody who has ever had a look at a mental health ward um, should have a very strong position against cannabis. But... um, that's a view I really strongly hold, and I'd hate to see devices like this being misused by people to deliver cannabis because there is evidence that that does cause harm. Um, how do we manage that? I mean, I hope that this country never legalises in the way that some states in the US have, um, but how do we make sure that these devices don't get misused um, by people who want to do more harmful things with them? So misuse is something that uh, you see more of when you're in an unregulated uh, sort of uh, cowboy marketplace. Uh, For instance, you'll probably be more than aware that there were quote-unquote vaping deaths in the United States and that, you know, X amount of people died because they vaped. Well, they didn't. that's what made me call you, right? Yeah, exactly. I remember. Yeah, Yeah, and, and the headlines were misleading to say the least. What happened was people were buying CBD oil vapes uh, that were produced uh, by dodgy producers. Uh, they were effectively street-bought vape liquids uh, that contained uh, different additives like vitamin E oils that were causing the damage. Uh, and it's a prime example of if you have a weird regulatory grey area or a black market, you create the circumstances in which those uh, bad things happen. The, the, the solution to these things isn't to... to you know, ban vaping even harder because these people still want to access these products. Uh, so you get that misuse when you have a marketplace that doesn't have consumer standards and doesn't have uh, a basic framework on, you know, how these products are sold and, and, and who to and how they're marketed and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. And if I could just jump in too, it's, yeah. it's, 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 you can't, use, as Brian says, you can't regulate something if it's banned and that's why we need to regulate it. Um, but also these products that people use for cannabis are different products. They're not the same vaping pens that we use, people use for nicotine. They're actually very different products because uh, you either heat nicotine dry uh, flowers and, and leaves or you use nicotine, or you use vaping uh, THC oil, which is very thick. You can't use it in a regular e-cigarette. So they are different products, but in any case, it's better to vape your THC if you have to vape it. And some people just can't quit. It's much better to vape it than to smoke it. So it's still harm reduction. I mean, we don't encourage it. But if someone says, look, I can't give it up, then they're much better off vaping it. Uh, and preferably a regulated product that's available and we know it's safe. Well, listeners, <laughs> don't vape THC. <laughs> no, no, no. No, you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. And, but, but some people will. And, and again, this is harm reduction. It's a safer way of doing it if you have to do it. Yeah. Well, thank you both for sharing your your expertise. If there's 
a final takeaway you could leave my listeners with, um, what would it be, Brian? Uh, I think for me it's that one of the key points is sometimes we actually do get lost in a lot of the data. Uh, and, in, you know, the numbers can tell a pretty compelling story and, yes, it's very, very important. But for a lot of people that maybe are curious about this issue and just want to know more about it, talk to a vapor. Ask them uh, how it's affected their lives. I've not met a single vapor that doesn't credit vaping with benefiting their lives greatly. Uh, if you see a vape shop, go in, talk to them. Uh, talk about their business. Uh, it is a very foreign thing for a lot of people um, and I think as a result of that, people think that vaping is this weird subculture. There's hundreds of thousands of vapors in Australia and they come from all walks of life uh, and almost every single one that I've ever met says that vaping has saved their life or benefited their life. So just talk to these people. You'll find out that they're not so different from you and I. Good point. Colin? Yes, look, my, my uh, clear message is that the science is now very clear. We know that vaping is the most effective quitting method. Uh, we know it's at least 95% safer than smoking. It's, you know, th- that, that, that's in stone now. We know that. And we should be able to introduce a regulatory model which allows adult smokers who can't quit access to this effective quitting method but while at the same time minimising any risk to young people. We don't want young people to use it, but you know, young people drink, they have sex, they ride motorbikes fast. Um, people are going to take risks, but we should be doing things to minimise those risks. And, and we, we manage other things in the same way, uh, and we should be able to manage vaping that way. Gentlemen, thank you both for making time to have a chat with me and um, the people who listen to this podcast. I Really appreciate you sharing your expertise and you're both well-informed, uh, passionate advocates. So um, I'm, I'm very blessed to have your time on the podcast. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda. We'll wrap it up there. Thank you for listening, everyone. And um, I hope you found this thought-provoking, informative and might have even changed your mind. Catch you next time.